Welcome to day four coverage of PAX Prime 2013 for Casually Hardcore. I'm Grail. I am Dexa. And I'm Andre. And you are you. So we are here on alphageekradio.com as well as uh, cross-streaming on btwproductions.com. We are wrapping up our final day of PAX, which this is the first time that PAX Prime has gone for four days. Mm-hmm. Four days is the right amount to me. Absolutely. I am it's perfectly. sated. I feel like I got through 99% of everything I wanted to do, I was able to do. Um, and it's it's a good feeling, and I'm ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I think is where I'm at. I don't have the uh, PAX Blues like I normally would from, from the previous yeah. years, where I'm just like, oh, the con's over. I'm so sad. Now I'm like, the con's over. My body thanks you. <laughs> I need to go home. I'm ready to go home. It was it was a great experience. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I could be here all all four days, and um, I'm glad it is four days mm-hmm. because it got, it gave me the opportunity to kind of as a rookie go through this thing and kind of have some lessons learned, but yet not but not pay like the ultimate price where you're like, like oh my god, I wasted too much time, or I really missed this. this thing that I wanted right. to see. I got to see a lot and do a lot that I wanted to do, and I met like I guess I had objectives that I things yeah. that I, this is I definitely want to do. And I did those things, which is great. So I can't walk away out of here saying, yeah. man, that was, that sucked. So we'll wrap this up at the end, but beginning with our uh, day four coverage, we went over to the con and immediately uh, we're going to try to play the new version of D&D, which was D&D Next. However, by the time we got to the con, they were, it just didn't match up for our uh, schedule because Andre had a, a panel he wanted to go to. So we, def- we decided to try to get to D&D Next later in the afternoon. We decided to spend some time back at Wargaming.net. Uh, they had a raffle that was interesting, so we did try to the raffle. Didn't work out. Uh, we did get to play Xbox version of uh, World of Tanks. That was cool. I think it's something I will definitely try. Yep. It's a free-to-play game we've talked about on previous wrap-up days. Uh, so we got to see that. And then Andre went to a panel. So tell us about the panel. Sure, no problem. It was uh, the the presenter was Ethan Levy was his name, and really the panel is about uh, the seven steps on why you should or how you can become a game designer. So he is a game designer consultant, and he's worked on over thirty ship titles. Um, so he has a, a lot of experience, and he kind of just want to share what those those points were. And I'll briefly just go over the the seven points. Um, there. It was it was really cool because it made you realize the all really there are a lot of steps I even consider on developing not just a, a digital game but any type of game. Um, so the first step was uh, know yourself and why do you want to do this? And actually, it's a very good question because people have to think about deep down why they either really have a career change or they want to start a career in the gaming industry. Um, they really need to have some type of motivation to figure out why they want to do this. So that was this thing. You have to kind of like some self-reflection on doing that. So the next part is know your vision. So they basically, his fundamental part of this step is that you need to have communication skills. A lot of people don't know how to communicate within a team, outside their team, um, with people they're working with, maybe just as, you know, consultants. And so they, they, he himself said that was one of the things he had to develop early on was better communication skills. And then basically he said write a game treatment, 
which is basically like a higher end version of like a business case. Mm-hmm. So practice that. What does that mean? And he said, if you really want to, just write a game treatment on a game you know. Mm-hmm. So can you in like you know three or four pages really describe the premise of a game you really like right. as a practice. Right. And let's go from there. Uh, know how to prototype was step three. And that basically is you choose a board game or a card game, strip it down, and rebuild it for fun. Okay. So you take Monopoly. Right. And you strip it down. You say, you know what? I don't want to have properties. I don't want to have tokens. I'll have like heroes and I'll have battles. And I'll have instead of um, cards, I'll have like quests or loot. So you basically just kind of change that game. And he said, then you refine it even further. The heroes are ninjas. Uh, and so you kind of take those steps and refine it and refine it and refine it and basically then try to rebuild it to something you like. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And then the next thing was know your tools. So build something that already that we talked about this a little earlier in the last broadcast about the tool set that you're going to see for EverQuest. But that's an example. Like get to know some of these creative tools that you can use in existence to help you build your game. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, in this case, a board game, you might be able to use these tool sets. But in the digital space, it's absolutely essential. So maybe there's a tool set that's out there that help you construct or rebuild this type of game. And then basically also he said, learn how to listen. Now this is very interesting because you said you have to learn how to listen to players. And his example was he had his cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was making this Pop the Red Balloon game. And so... Uh, you know, he was showing his cousins like, "Please pop the red balloons." And then the banner flew by on a plane, a biplane. It was real. It was, like, it was an iPhone, and the banner said, "Please pop like green balloons." But the cousins didn't pay attention, and they just said, "Uh oh," because no more red balloons were popping. There's no more right. red balloons. He's like, "That's all I needed to see." So he said, "Because I paid attention, you test it, you fix it, then you go back and test it, and you fix it, and you just keep this process going." And that's just all he said. That's as soon as it was done, I stopped right there and I fixed it. And so the next part of the same cousin test, they were playing, said, what should I add? And he goes, they were making fun. It's like, want to add fart sounds. They were kept making fart noises. Right. But he said, you have to really figure out what they're trying to tell you. They're not telling you they wanted fart games. They didn't want to fart red balloons. You want to pop red balloons. Right. The fact of what they were trying to say is that there was no audio-visual feedback. There was no audio feedback to the visualness. That's what they were trying to say was missing. So you have to understand in kind of what people's critique is. Look between the lines. Look between the lines what they're really trying to say what the game needed. And then right. fix it and test it and fix it and test it and fix it and test it. Uh, there's two more points. No, point six was no, your, no teamwork. You try to actually create a game by yourself, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Especially when you want to make it good. So... You know, you're going to have to know how to work with an artist, work with somebody else. And actually, that's what those communication skills are very, very important. He said, if you really wanted to do something correctly about teamwork, go ahead and try to build someone else's game. So take someone else's idea and try to build it for them. And don't try to take the credit for it or start to steal it. But basically have the humbleness to see if you can take someone else's idea and create it. Right. Uh, Which I thought, again, is like, you know, I never thought about something to do that. Actually, it's a learning process step for becoming a game designer. And then he said, know how to finish. A lot of projects we know in the gaming industry, we're like, man, that was a great idea, but yet we never see it as players. Right. And so guess what? We don't care. We don't care about all the games that were never finished. Right. We only care about the games that we actually get to play. Yep. So finish your game. And they said one of the best ways to do that is to try to create an easy game already done, like Pac-Man or Asteroids or Centipede, and actually go through the process and take all these processes and then create it again. 
You already know what the game's going to do. You've already seen it and played it. Played it. Go ahead and do it again. Right. And finish it. And then see, okay, this is I did it. So then do it again and do it again. But basically, it's that repetition and then all these steps become easier. So um, he actually has a blog that he's going to post a lot of these uh, his slide, pre- slide presentation on, which was www.quarterspiral.com. Um, so if, I'm sure we can ask the dealer or I mean Grail or Daxa about uh, more information about this and I, or, or me and I'll, I'll try to get it to you. But it's really cool. It was a nice presentation and it, you know, if I, I was always interested in game design, now I have a better idea of what I need to do to approach to become and take those steps. So it didn't tell me like, hey, you should know Perl because that's not the point of the process. The process is like, obviously you have to know how to program. But what's the, what's the higher level steps you really need to become a good game designer or something like that? So it was really cool. He was a very entertaining guy and it was like in a 45 minute session, but I got a lot of info. Uh, out of that 45 minutes. Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds I mean, really neat, actually. It sounds like the, uh, what's that book? Uh, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People. It's kind of that level. It's very, it's high level, but I mean, it, it really should guide you as you go through the, the steps of actually creating a game. Yeah. It, uh, it, it doesn't tell you, you know, first step is do this, but yeah, it's at not, a it's high not. level, it's like, know why you're doing it. I think it makes sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's not a recipe. Right. right, you're not going to add all these ingredients, and you're going to get a yeah, souffle. You have a game, right? Uh, yeah. You're you have to actually know, you know, how and why you're doing it, and how to get there, and what really. He, I guess, he's trying to say is there's a lot of reason why games falter, mm-hmm. and how to avoid some of those missteps, so or how to avoid some of the walls that you might hit, and preventing you from finishing. So it was really good, and he's you know he's worked on a team of like four people to a team of eighty. Or in some yeah. of the big games he's been with, he's worked on teams of 100s, like the AAA games, he said. So it was it was very interesting, very good. And so, I mean, he's a very seasoned guy, and he's young. So uh, he said, it's, you're not really going to be for the money in the beginning. Salaries aren't that great. But, you know, you do something you love, and then hopefully you can make a name for yourself, and boom. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's, it's just, to me, it was not about a technical. It was about creativity. And that's what I got more out of it. It's like the ability to be creative and cre- actually creative and creative. It's a little different between that and being an artist and creative or music. It's actually being an artist about creating something that people can use and play right. over and over and over again. So it was mm-hmm. nice. That's good. And they had a lot of panels uh, focused on game design this year at PAX. So. Yeah, yeah, they I, did. I, I had to kind of sacrifice some of the <laughs> the uh, some of those panels because I was like, oh, I really wanted to do this, or yeah. I want to see League of Legends, or I wanted to, you know. You know, I, this is my first pack, so I I had wanted to see at least one of these panels, uh, just for my own interest. And there was like a, a maybe six. Yeah, they had like maybe one or two a day that basically just focused on like backgrounds of. Well, you can look at the schedule, but it was really cool. So I right. mean, that's great. I mean, that just goes to show you there's a, a kind of a community out here and it's being fostered very well. Yeah, so. and I mean it's good. Nonetheless, I think this is the one that's like step one. If you were to chart out all these various panels the the first step is just these very high level concepts why am i doing this how can i take something that exists already and recreate it and uh how can i bring something to uh, fruition so yeah it's good yeah. all right so we went through well i'm trying to think so while andre was uh at that panel we visited the Indie Hall mm-hmm. again and saw several games there. 
Uh, Dead State being one of them. Yes. I really liked Dead State from what I saw. I did too, but it's in its pre, 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 pre alpha state right now. (laughs) Yeah. This is a game coming out on the computer. It is a zombie survival game. Mm -hmm. However, it's in the XCOM slash Fallout mode of play. Uh, Fallout being that you have open world areas where you're moving around, you're interacting with NPCs, you're talking to them, and eventually, and these are all the survivors that are with you, and eventually you have to go out and either forage for resources or mm-hmm. food or, or deal with some sort of threat. And then when you go out, you go into a more tactical uh, view where you actually engage in combat and you have to, uh, you have action points and stuff, the, the normal XCOM model. Right. The interesting thing about this game, I thought, was they said that combat is not what wins you the game. So what wins you the game is actually going through the story and doing things for other people because depending on your decisions that you make with certain people, kind of like, you know, The Walking Dead, the story changes. Mm -hmm. So that's what gets you to beat the story is actually talking to these people, getting to know them. And basically it's all about the survivors, not about the zombies. So, I mean, you absolutely do have to kill some zombies to get from one place to another, but you shouldn't go out of your way to kill them because that's not what the game is about. The game is about the puzzle right. more than anything. And it was really, really neat. I mean, it had me engaged. I, we, I probably would have stayed there a lot longer had um, we not had to leave. It was an XCOM-type game, so yes. it definitely made you go, okay, I want to keep playing, I want to see what's next, and then once you get in combat, it's very like tactical. I want to finish all, all the zombies. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it looked good. It looked and really it's... good. But this is actually one of, one of the things that that uh, your panel taught was to listen to the people, right? Mm-hmm. So it was in super super pre alpha state, and I had my hands on the movement, the natural movement keys, but I kept hitting the key X. under it X to go backwards because I, I mean I figured that's the key that sends you backwards. Um, it wasn't. I was actually going into, I think, their code. Well, that, it brought up a, a developer a window. window. And basically, it was saying this is the FPS, this is the version, and basically had a bunch of uh, back-end stats, like memory usage. Yeah, all scrolling so. through it. So um, that's one of the things that, according to your panel, that's right there. What happened there? What is someone's natural state? If the one, if the finger above is to go forward, obviously the finger below is to go backward. I mean, that's what yeah. certain people Maybe would think. Maybe it was S that brought that up then for you. I'm not sure, but yeah. nonetheless. Nonetheless, so there's certain things where you should pay attention to, you know, to the people that play it. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, for it being in super pre-alpha state, I would definitely play it. Yep. So that was one of the games um, that we saw there. The other zombie game that I saw there was. Uh, actually more like a little puzzle game it was called containment and it's i think it's out on steam and android and ios it's like a buck i think on ios right now um it's a puzzle zombie game Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like it's kind of like bejeweled sorta where you have these little zombies and you have colored police forces that try to um kill the zombies you have to surround a zombie in order to kill it but the more moves you make or the longer it takes you to make those moves the those zombies start attacking your police forces and then convert them and then there's more zombies. Um, so you have to be quick and you have to do it um, in a certain amount of moves. But also, if you're surrounded by a certain type of police force, like a, a green police force versus a blue police force, then um, you get some things, like you'll get a crate and then in that crate will be a Molotov cocktail where you can throw it at the zombies and it'll kill all the zombies. So it's actually a really, it's more of a time waster type puzzle 
game. Um, but if you're a zombie fan and you know you're gonna play Bejeweled anyway, it gets harder. The, yeah. Obviously, the higher levels, and it's, it was pretty interesting. I mean, you know, it's not too bad. So that was one of the games that I that I yeah. played that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and the other game that we saw there also was Contrast. Right. I didn't get to play it because the people want to get off the computers. I mean, they yeah. were really involved in this game. But it's a neat-looking game. Did You yeah. saw it, right? Oh, yeah. Contrast yeah. looked great, and it's gotten a lot of press lately, um, and, and duly so, both for its setting. It's a 1920s, 20s, uh-huh. uh, setting, very noir-type mm-hmm. feel, uh, completely original jazz score for the uh-huh. game. Music was really, really well done, but it, it was a solid-looking platformer. Um, really interesting use of shadow and, and platforming going between actual uh, person and then when they 2D blend and 3D. into the shadow and yeah. use shadows to, to transver, uh, transverse the uh, environment. So it, it looked good and the graphics were yeah. really well done and the control looked tight. And the story sounds interesting. The story is about a little girl named Dee Dee and her imaginary friend Dawn, right, right I believe is her name. Um, and basically, um, she's got a pretty bad life situation going on. Her dad is non-existent. Her mom is trying to get this job at this cabaret. She's a singer. And so she leaves um, Dee Dee alone a lot of the times. So Dee Dee is the only person that can see Dawn because she's her imaginary friend. But everyone in the real, what you would think is the real world, um, is in shadow. Mm-hmm. So the only people that are not in shadow are Dee Dee and um, and Dawn, and I think towards the end it's probably going to come to the point of is this really the real world right. or which is the real which world. is the real world? Yeah. But anyways, it it looks really really interesting. Um, I think it comes out on November fourteenth, and it's coming out for PS three and four and on Steam right and mm-hmm. for the Xbox. I think they said. So, but yeah, that was a really, really interesting game. I played that. Um, I think that's about all we got to because the indie no, four. there was that one that I liked a lot, and I don't know where I left their card. There with the little blue guy. He looked like a little blob, and you're swimming around in the water. And oh god, I can't remember the name, but I'm gonna have to try to find it. All right. Basically, what it was about though, which is really cool, is as soon as you get there, the guy goes, "You have to put these headphones on because." It's a music game. And I went, what? What's a music? Fine. So I put the headphones on. And as you swim around, you can hear like a drum in the background. And it's like, don't, don't, don't. And it's to a beat. So you're doing all these little quests and you're trying to get these little jewels and you're swimming around underwater. And then you do something that opens something else up. And then now you're hearing like a cymbal. So now you've got both going and the beat. And the further you go on, the more music you start hearing. Uh. And the music is really cool. So you're like tapping along, playing with this little water-looking dude. And the, the little water guy has like headphones. And when he's standing still, he starts like jiving to the little music. Nice. I mean, it's really cute. And I'll have to get you guys that name. I'm so sorry. It's packed away in my bag and I'm not going to unpack <laughs> my bag for it. But we will probably talk about it during um, next Sunday's show. And I'll get you the name of that game because it is a really cute game. But that's pretty much it for that. For the Indie Hall. Right. right? So, yeah. I think at that point we uh, met up and went and played D&D Next. Yes. So, this is the newest edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, 
vastly different from fourth edition, which became more of a board game mm-hmm. because it was very miniature based, very all your actions and everything you could do was very much based on the map and where your miniature was and how many spaces away it was from a certain you know creature or whatever you're trying to get to. This one returned it back to a much more uh, traditional role playing. A vibe where everything really took place in everybody's head. It was imagination. It was storytelling. Uh, so we sat down and played a good long adventure. I would say two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Two hour adventure. Uh, we were playing with level two characters. Mm-hmm. You know, randomly assigned pre-generated guys. Uh, Andre played a human cleric. Daxa was the half elf paladin. Paladin. And I was a halfling rogue. Yes, and then we played with two other... And we um, played with a couple other guys. guys. Uh, um, one was playing a human wizard, some oh. sort of elf wizard. Elf wizard. Okay, elf wizard and a dwarven, dwarven. fighter. Of yes. course, the dwarven fighter. Right. <laughs> and I liked it. It was good. It was back to role-playing again. Yeah, it was fun. I had, a, I had a really good time. I mean, you know, you get randomly assigned these people, and these two boys were very, very, very young. So you had to kind of... Allow, make some allowances for that. Yeah, not stab them in the head. Well, they were both <laughs> annoying. No, one was more annoying than yeah. the other. But, but they were young. Way, but they were young and they, they were, were learning. as annoying as I was at 15. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, and they were, but I mean, they were enthusiastic. About yeah, playing. exactly. Yeah. So, they were enthusiastic. They were learning. It was good. Yeah. yeah. I, it really comes down to that. I played D&D, the Red Box. I mean, I played them all. Advanced D&D, mm-hmm. 3.5. I played two. I mean, I played them all. Mm-hmm. So, four, in my opinion, if you don't have miniatures on a board, you're not playing the game. Not at mm-hmm. all. You can't, essentially, you cannot play it without without right. them. So, the fact that basically you can sit down anywhere, you have these, you know, pen and paper, if you even know the stats, you can play this. They streamlined the rules quite a bit, um, and it made it easier for the DM as well, which I thought was great. Yeah. Because um, we fit a lot of what I would think in a 4.0 game in two hours, which might have taken over three in, in a 4.0 game. Oh, All easily. the content we've done and all the easily. encounters and things. Oh, yeah. Because every fight, you have to move the hexes and all that and just, like, yeah. determine your powers that you're using. Like, for instance, when the characters, when the when the mobs hit you, it was flat damage. So if it's a hobgoblin stabbing you with the spear, it's four points of damage. Right. There's no rolls. Now, if the hobgoblin happened to crit you, then it's up to DM say, well, you got to take eight points versus, let's say, they just take their spear, which would be 1D, whatever, and they can roll it. Now, the DM could just say, you know what? I want to roll damage because right. I don't want to be flat. Mm-hmm. You can do that, too. So I like the fact that basically they made the rules that here's our rules, or basically it's a framework. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the framework, and let's just use it like you want to. Mm-hmm. So you can make the game as long and as in-depth, and as, or you can just be real quick about it. Four points of damage. Next. Next turn. So, I mean, our last encounter, we probably had, I don't know, like 10 rounds, 12 Easily. rounds. Easily. And it was it just flew by because it, it was not encumbered by anything by at all. So, I'm excited to play D&D again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a lot easier. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time. Yeah. And the encounter was cool in a convention setting because, essentially, at the very end, we all all the tables around us we're teaming up for one objective. Yeah. Basically, dragon comes in, is harassing these towers, and we were defending a tower. So right. all the towers were cooperating with each other on helping defeat the dragon. So in this case, one of the young guys was playing a mage, and he was throwing spells at just the dragon while mm-hmm. we were defending the you know the person we're supposed to defend in the tower. Right. 
And so all these people were coming up and saying, 11 more points to the dragon from across the room. And yeah. 11 more points to the dragon again. So And the dragon would randomly land at a table right. and, and, and do some attacks. And we even had like a halfling that was on the dragon. So he came to our table and was just like, I'm here. And then the dragon flew away with him on it, and so he left. And, and then there was a point where there was two halflings right, on the Right, and they all the eventually tail. died horribly while the dragon fell to its death. But nonetheless, those are what we call the stupid halflings in my clan. <laughs> right. Overzealous. Overzealous. There's but, a fine line between bravery and stupidity. Right, and uh, you know, skills were done really well. Yeah. Um, so and very the, little skills. Very little skill. I mean, so... The best way he described it, in my mind, as far as skills goes, he says that the game expects you to be heroes. Right. Meaning mundane tasks, heroes should be able to accomplish without having to roll a die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hero to tasks uh, needs to roll a die. So we were in this, one of our encounters, we are like 10 feet up, and I'm in full armor, I'm a cleric with you know chain mail and a huge shield and a mace. And I said, I'm going to jump down and attack. The guy's like, okay, you're right there, go attack the guy. I'm thinking yeah. oh, I'm gonna have to run a jump roll. Right. I'm gonna do a acrobatic roll. something. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, like, <laughs> well, we all know the more rolls, the longer the game. Is. Right. No, and that was when he explained it. You're a hero. It's ten feet. We you can you. jump it. You can just go ahead and do this. You make it. Yeah. Now, when when Grail played the the thief, he had to make his stealth check. Yeah. But it was literally like make a stealth check. It wasn't that hard. It's like okay, you really went across the room. Right. And and, like, yeah, yeah, they, it covered a lot of ground, and it was very easy. It wasn't like I had a stealth skill. I rolled my d20, I added my dex, and then I, because I'm a halfling, or because I'm a rogue, uh, I did a bonus die bec- to anything that's dex-based. So I just rolled my d6, added that in, and done. So I didn't have to worry, especially about leveling up, like I don't have to level up individual skills or determine skill points or anything. Mm-hmm. It's all about, this is my character, I'm, I'm moving along the, the path, and really it's about my attributes. The attributes, adding the skills. The only skills I think we had on a sheet were lore skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowledge skills. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you had to know about, like, if I knew about, in my case, I knew about sailing, because us halflings are known for our sailing skills. Absolutely. Obviously. So I, anything about sailing, I was all over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So that was another point that DM brought up was basically like uh, we don't want to have what they said was end up happening was is if you weren't trained in a certain skill you were you were pretty much useless to use it right and they don't want that to happen anymore they don't want people to have have to train in every single skill if I want to do an acrobatics check or if I want to make a sneak roll they said listen your dex is horrible because you're wearing armor you're probably not as sneaky so you just you're not or not as dexterous then you they're not gonna be as good. But it doesn't mean you can't try. Yep. Right. Doesn't right. mean you can't try to be sneaky. You and you might succeed. So you might get that one time where you're just super in the mode, in the zone, and you succeed. Right. But if in another rule class, even in three point five, you had that problem. Yeah. Where if you weren't training that skill, really, the it was really set up against that you weren't going to succeed. Now everyone can always try that. But, I mean, you're, no, I'm not saying that you couldn't try to be stealthy in other rules. But they really wanted to minimize that that detriment for not being trained. I like that. That was cool. That was one of the cool things about making the rules more easier and just streamlined. It's it's kind of like making it more like fun when you were a kid. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, maybe you had an older brother, and my my right. case, I had friends that they would kind of explain the rules to me easy. Like they make it easier for yeah. me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like now the game's like that for everybody. Yep. So, and it's just made it more fun. It can be more creative. 
And it made the games go a little faster, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's the stick more in, more content into the time frame you used to have before. Yeah. For sure. That's for sure. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, we had, we had some good times later. Positive first impressions. Yes. Positive Definitely. first impressions. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, really, that was the last uh, game of the day we had. Um, from there, we... We try to go back and play Titanfall. Spent a little time on the uh, uh, exhibition floor. Uh-huh. It was still very, very busy, even at like 4 o'clock, even, and it was closing at 5. Uh, so at that point, we that was pretty much it. We spent a little more time, uh, funny enough, at Golmarkana. Again. And when we got there, it was really weird. We got interviewed by the staff of Hairbrain Studios, which was kind of surreal since we'd been interviewing people all weekend. So it was, yeah. it was neat, though. It was, well, it was cool. funny because the poor guy. Yeah. The Rannan, intern. Rannan. Rannan is his yeah. name, the intern. And he's, you know, he's talking to us. And he goes, you guys were here before, and he knows we like the game. So he's like, let me interview you um, so, you know, we can put it up when we do our, you know, our Kickstarter. And we're like, sure, sure, fine, whatever. So he, he asks us these questions, and we had these really good answers for them. And they were so, like spontaneous and off the cuff and they were great and then he goes i forgot to turn the mic on yeah. he's like can you do that again because that was so good and we're like okay, okay. it wasn't as good it was not as good as i remember what the hell we just said yeah, we should have just basically redone it redone again. It. like we just like oh, shake wow. it out and like okay yeah. forget what we said let's yeah. just see if we can do something else but um no it was really cool and i, and I was really impressed they actually remembered us yeah like, hey, you're yeah. back. I'm like, oh yeah. my God, I've like, seen, yes, like, you must probably seen like 5,000 people right, coming through right. here. I don't, yeah. I don't remember us, but, so that was good. So yeah. that was a nice final touch for me to, for the, yes. The well, absolutely. Yeah. It was great for me because I saw Jordan again and I took another picture right, with him. Right, right. like my total man crush. Um, but he even said, weren't you here last year? And I was like, yes, yes, I was. That's well, when, right. I mean, Different game. <laughs> Different a, game. When you're flagged as a stalker. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they remember the stalkers. He's like, uh-oh. Hell, even our She's D&D back. GM was like, weren't you guys, weren't you guys here, here like two year? years ago? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So, we're ju- we just leave good impressions is yeah, what it is. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they have a little board back there. Uh, right, right. These people beware. <laughs> and again, you know, you know, getting back to our previous topic, uh, just briefly, I gotta say, props to our DM for uh, the D and D next. Oh my we gosh! We were on yes. day four, like one of the last games he probably was running. He he's been running all of the last game he was running. He ran for four days straight, people through probably the same basic adventures. Yes, and he was still very enthusiastic, very engaging. You know, not like really willing to like slit his own wrists at that point. No, and so. his voice is on the fritz. Yes. Yeah, his voice was on the fritz, but he still had enthusiasm. I mean, mad pro. I can't imagine trying to run yeah, games no. four days straight. No, I mean literally. So we sat down and waited to play. Yeah. And the adventures in front of us stopped, <laughs> and they're like, we have to give the DMs at least some refreshment. Like right. they basically had people come in, bring them lunch. Bring them food, yeah. And within 15 minutes, he was still. They got to go to the restroom, and that's it. And they got to like like, sit down. It's like sit down. Like I'm here for you. Right. We'll keep going. I'm gonna eat my sandwich. I'm like, dude, you can take all the time you want. Right. And you've just been doing this for like the last 10 hours. I mean, I mean, I know when we play like role play, like I'm worn out after like one session. (laughs) I don't know how I could do that 
for four days straight. So big props to him. Yes. Um, props to all our exhibit uh, exhibitors. Jeff's. Is his name Jeff? It was Jeff. I, I think it was Jeff. Yeah. So props to yes, you, it Jeff. was Jeff. Yeah. Props to you, Jeff. Yeah. Big, big props, props to, Jeff. to Jeff. So props to everybody that exhibited there at PAX Prime. I mean, it's supposed to be four days. That's yes. long. I mean, it's fine. The Wargaming.net, the guy who's doing the raffles. I mean, he still had his same level of enthusiasm. His jokes were as cheesy as before, and he, but he was up on that stage doing it. So, I know that's true. You know, that's rough. <laughs> and yeah. even I gotta it's say that rough. too. The people on the exhibit floor. Yeah. Same. I mean, like all the people. You know, all the enthusiasts. Yeah, they're very good. Happy. I remember we're watching the war again with the same presentation. Yeah. Before, you know. And I was watching one of the guys who I've seen there on the first day we were there. It's this, this little small guy. Yeah. And he was like, they were doing like the same demo. Right. Which they played a, probably like the 12th or 15th time. Easily. And he was rocking out to the music. Yeah. Like, I was watching him. He was like banging his head. I'm like, he really loves what he right. does. Yes. Because like you've probably seen it like 50 times. Like, but I like the music. Like, <laughs> it, so, I mean, that was cool. I mean, great, yeah. great conference. Yeah. And, uh. It was yeah. It was cool. Still, my favorite conference I've ever been to by far. Oh, easily. Penny Arcade easily the takes best thing to go to every year. All right, so we'll get to our wrap up portion now. Andre, best thing of the con, best thing you attended at the con, or best thing you saw. Um, like we'll get to best game as a second question, but for now, just best, best, best memory of the con. Esports live. Esports lives. Lol. Playing it. Dexa, best memory of the con. Gosh, you put me on the spot. Uh, best memory of the con. You got to go second. Yeah. I know, but God, I had so many great, great, great things. Come on, it's your second boyfriend. Yeah, it's probably my second boyfriend. <laughs> Jordan? Yeah. You need him again? All right. The fact that he remembered me. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good when they remember. When the crush yeah. wears you, right. it's always good. So I go, yeah, I had these bands. It's like big, pretty, and pink moment. Yeah. Right yeah. I mean, he's not even cute. I mean, he's not like what I would consider, oh my God, that man is hot. He's just, he created my favorite game of all time. Right, right. Yeah, I know. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, girl? I would say, I, honestly, my favorite memory or like favorite thing about the con was to see games like Minecraft. Or not Minecraft, I'm sorry. Guncraft. Guncraft. Guncraft that was two years ago, or last year, I'm sorry, last, last year. year was up in the sixth floor, the the real indie hall area, and now this year they were down on the main floor. Or to see a game like Air Mech, where two years ago they had like one PC there, and it was playing Air Mech, and now they had easily the biggest booth in the indie uh, mega booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just huge booth for them. Uh, so to see that progression of games where like these little games that I saw years ago now like kind of hit the prime time was really, really cool. Okay. Yes. Andre, best game. And it can be any video game, board game, card game, anything. I was really impressed with Worlds of Planes. I okay. personally liked, uh, I've always loved aviational combat. And I think this game now makes it more accessible to me and, and to, fr- to play with friends. I mean, I have a bunch that I like, the board games and stuff, but I, this is a game that I kind of saw this was coming out and actually seeing it in person. It looked really cool. I really yeah. can't wait to play uh, in the beta and see if I can actually become a real pilot. I might not ever be one, but at least right. I'm going to try. But yeah, I, th- I thought World of Planes. 
Best game, Daxa. Ah, oh, this is a toughie. Yep. This is really tough because I loved Golem Arcana. I loved it a lot. But I really, really like The Wolf Among Us. Yep. That's tough. I'm going to have to say probably because it's more finished and Golem Arcana was still very, 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 very alpha. alpha. It's probably going to be the, yeah, The okay. Wolf Among Us. Definitely. Yeah. I would uh, say Golem Arcana was absolutely fantastic, but it was in pre-alpha state, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, a lot of my favorite things were just not create. EverQuest Next was great. The presentation looked awesome, but it really just wasn't there yet. It was yeah. still just conceptual screenshots or just very pre-alpha of them building in the rendering the engine. So for me, I would have to go with Star Trek Catan. It's the one game that I really left like going, I really want to play that more. And a very close second on that would be the Star Trek, or no, Shadowrun card game. Oh, yeah, that was well. really good yeah. too. So those two are what I had, I think, the most fun doing, even though there was a lot of things I had plenty of fun. I mean, the even the XCOM, the demo for the XCOM looked great, but I just didn't play it. So it's hard for me to give that, you know, the game of like the right. Plus, the, the question is what game you, what's the best game you played? Right, right. So there's a lot of games that look great that I just didn't play. So exactly. I mean, Titanfall looked fantastic. I just didn't play didn't it. Didn't play it. <laughs> so. Um, so that's where I, so, all right, and last thing, Andre, any regrets? I probably shouldn't have seen that many League of Legends matches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I did not need to see, like, a game every single day. It's like a vortex or a black hole I could not avoid. I just, do you know what it really is? It came down to, that atmosphere was so fun. It's like, you know, you have tickets to go see a basketball game every day. Yeah. It's hard to say no. Mm -hmm. yeah, it really is. But I, I would, my, my probably biggest regret would be like, you know, maybe I would have seen the quarterfinals and skipped a day and then saw the finals. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't need to see matches all three right. days. I could have spent my time um, doing something else or just seen the finals. You know, but I would have been rough. Figured it out a little bit. Better. The problem is I got a taste early. Yep. And it was hard to let go yeah. uh, that, <laughs> that, that cool feeling. So um, I really do, if I go to PAX next year, I hope that it's not hosted there because then I can see PAX more, more of it. But it probably will be. it's going to be there. Yeah, year. it's going to so be there every year. I'll have to then hopefully not make these same comments Figure it again. Out. Yeah, yeah. And say I avoided the trap of this year, which is yep. seeing too much of it. But that would be, the, that would be my regret. All right. Excellent. Regrets. Oh, okay. So... Gosh, I don't see. I have I have a lot of things that you know what. My biggest regret probably is saving all those points. I should have just got the freaking headset, yeah. Turtle Beach headset, amazing headset. I had plenty of points for it. Would have had plenty left over. There was no way I was going to get an Xbox if I had known. I would have just gotten the headset or the PAX tickets. Because you could get a pair of PAX tickets for yep. 4,000 points. That's my regret. My regret is not making you get those points earlier, so you would have had enough then to buy an Xbox One. <laughs> if I had, you you know, all were making fun of me. Focus you on that day one. 
and said, just hunt these things down, we would have had an Xbox One by now. Absolutely. Dylan, the See? guy I met during Triwizard, Dylan yeah. and I, we would have found them all. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's number one regret. Um, otherwise, though, honestly, having been here already three years in a row, I kind of had a much better idea of how to tackle the con because it's so huge. There's so much you can, can do uh, that I knew that I didn't want to spend a lot of time this year in panels and stuff. So, and that fourth day made up for a lot. Mm -hmm. So I was really happy overall with my time at the con. You know, there's always things, Titanfall, I really, in terms of gameplay, that's the one thing I wish I would have had a chance to play. I just never had the stamina to stand in that line. Yeah, it comes down to like, I don't watch one match. And I should have stayed in line. Yeah. And played more. And just played Titanfall. And yeah, just taking I the bullet. Beating the bullet. Yeah, exactly. The That's bullet, the way I feel. You stay there for maybe about, you yeah. know, an hour. No, it, I mean, seriously, even Total Biscuit said that Titanfall was, like, he didn't even get to do it because yeah. he would have had to stand in line for almost two to three hours to even get near yep. it, too. So that was the one booth that was not friendly at all towards any media. Right. And... The line was just freaking ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Could have done but, it. But we could have done it. Could have done it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know... It, yeah. One lull would have... Yeah. yeah. One... I mean, I said I could have missed one... Like, just not seeing the Saturday game. Mm-hmm. And just walked... And actually, it turns out that later on, on like... Um, like, even... Not today, but the previous day, the lines were shorter. So if you could have gotten there at, like, four, you could have probably... Definitely by six, you would have been playing. Because yeah. people were leaving. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, c'est la vie. I mean, so hopefully that, next that, packs you right. see a sweet game and you're like, you just don't go do League of Legends and you just go... And <laughs> right, right, right. You just, but, you eat it and, and you do it. And you do it. So, But it, the game looked, from a distance... Looked fun. Looked, looked fun. Looked great. Yeah. Well, so there you go. My regret. It looked fantastic. It was, I would easily say, for the next-gen consoles, it was the best-looking game between the Xbox One or PS4 that I saw there. Yes. Now mm-hmm. how I played, who the hell knows? Hands down, it was the best looking, the most innovative. It's the one that, that caught my eye. But with that said, for the most part, all the games I played made me happy that I invested in a computer. Because yes. Because that was really where a lot of the games mm-hmm. that I want to play are going. If they say that PC gaming is dead, they are wrong. No, no. This is going to be a big resurgence. And really, the the Xbox One and PS4 are just playing, trying to stay even with what a computer can give you right now. And really going forward, so to me, that's where the argument between the two kind of doesn't hold water anymore. Because in the end, if you have a computer, who cares? All you're looking for is what device do you want to use for your entertainment and some games on your big TV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, overall, good. Yep. So, great time by I think all. That's it. Yeah, we are done from PAX Prime 2013 live in Seattle, Washington. I've been Grail. I have been Dexa. And I've been Andre. And we are out of here.